episode 195. Hi, welcome to my mum's show. <laughs> of the Single Mother Survival Guide podcast. My name is Julia Hasha. I am the host of this show and I'm absolutely delighted to have you join me today. If you are a new listener, then I want to wish you a massive welcome. And if you are a regular, welcome back. Okay, how's everyone holding up with COVID-19? I know I ask this every week, but you know, need to check in with my ladies uh, it's going okay over here. I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of loving homeschooling one day, hating it the next, mostly hating it, to be honest. It's, um, bloody tough. It's really tough, (laughs) but you know, we're going to get there. So hang in there. If you're feeling pain, (laughs) I'm right beside you. There's, there's days where I just, I feel like I'm going to just lose my mind probably already have. Anyway, that's that's just <laughs> what we're doing now. So that's fine. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to give a massive shout out to everybody who has left a review lately. It is so appreciated. And if you listen to this every week and you kind of zone out in this period, I really want you to listen because the reviews mean so much to me. And I really want you to understand that it means so much to me. So if you have left a review from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And if you haven't yet left a review, a request, I would love you to leave one. Not only does it make the podcast easier for new single moms to find, which is what I want, you know, I want them to kind of do a bit of research, do a bit of searching around going, where are my people? Then they stumble across this podcast and then they read the reviews and they're like, oh my gosh, this sounds great. I want to listen. And then they listen and they're just like, I found my people, you know, that would make me so happy. So there's that. Obviously, it makes me happy to read some kind words as well. So if you could do that, that would mean the absolute world. Today's shout out is from Lizzie Bear in Australia. She wrote, Julia, I can't thank you enough for your hard work, honesty and bravery necessary for making this wonderful podcast. You've succeeded in creating a safe space for other women to be brave and share their stories. The Single Mother's Survival Guide is a community of inspiring and strong women, a place where honest conversations can and do change lives. Thank you. Lizzie Bear, thank you. Seriously, that like that makes my day. And like when I first started this podcast, you know, something that I said to myself and something that I said to my friends and family was I'm so passionate about this. And if this can help one person, like mission accomplished, you know, and now I'm four years down the track almost, you know, this, this podcast will be four in August and there have been weekly episodes since then. And it makes me so happy to see the growth of this community. You know, it's, it's super special and I'm just super honored to be able to facilitate it and to be a part of it. So Lizzie Bear 82, thank you for listening and thank you for taking the time out of your day to rate and review my podcast. It's really special to me. Thank you. Okay, it's time to get into this week's episode. I'm really excited to share this guest's journey, especially because it's something that's very close to my heart as well. 
especially now that I've broken up with my boyfriend and, you know, becoming a single mother by choice with a second child is something that I really want to do. I'm super embarrassed about the way I introduce my guest. Um, I raise it with her during the conversation and I'll talk to you about it again at the end. But I apologize. I really apologize for being disrespectful to anyone. I'm sure you'll understand when you when you hear it. But for now, um, I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. And I'm just super proud of my guest for sharing such an emotional journey with us. So let's get into it. Okay, I always have ladies asking me to get more single mums by choice on the show. And although my guest today isn't a mum yet, I'm so happy that she's here and willing to share her story and her journey so far with us. And I think this is going to give anyone who is currently on that path or thinking about going down that path some really good insights. So welcome to the Single Mother Survival Guide podcast, Krista. Thank you, Julia, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. Honestly, it's, a, it's an absolutely honour to chat with you. Uh, just as a bit of an intro, tell us a bit about you. Where do you live? What do you do? Tell us a bit about Krista. Sure. Uh, so I am 33. I live in Perth. Whereabouts in Perth? Um, I'm in Maylands, just near oh, the river. I really like Maylands. My daughter was born <laughs> right near there. Um, oh, really? It used to be called in- Mercy. Yeah, yeah, I know that hospital. I walked past it. Yeah, it's really nice. I think it's called something else now, but it was lovely. Yeah, St. John of God um, had taken it over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. You work for a mining company. (laughs) I work for a mining company. So um, I used to do fly in, fly out work. But a couple of years ago, I switched to working from our Perth office and um, have done ever since and have zero regrets about that decision. <laughs> That's amazing. Can I ask what kind of work you do? Yeah, I um, work as a project administrator at the moment. So um, the company I work for are in the middle of starting up a new mine site up in the Pilbara. That's amazing. Did you know that I'm a mining engineer? Oh, I didn't, know. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, wow, someone else in mining. Oh, I get wow. so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Because the uh, the company that I work for is actually based in Perth. So, oh, um, really? Yeah, and my daughter's dad lives in Perth, so I'm in Perth all the time. And when I'm in Perth, um, I used to live in Carlisle, which is right next to Vic Park. Yeah. Um, but the office is in Frio. And so, yeah, my daughter yeah. usually has her week with her dad and I'll just hang out in the Perth office. <laughs> yeah, right. There it's you go. Nice. Yes. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, so project administrator working for a mining company in Perth CBD. I started looking at becoming a single mother by choice maybe three and a half years ago now and um, have been going through all sorts of fertility treatments um, and just I just know that it's the right choice. Amazing. So can I ask because... A lot of people, I'm sure, would say you're quite young. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what what made you start going, okay, now's the time? 
Uh, so when I turned 30, I had a little bit of a um, bit of a breakdown, I guess you could say, thinking that my life was over. I hadn't met anybody. I was still working away and I just felt as though my life wasn't really going anywhere. Uh, so then I did a little bit of soul searching and sort of came to the realisation that the number one thing that I wanted in my life was to be a mum and to have a family, but I could actually do that on my own and I didn't need a man to do that. <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> and I guarantee if you speak to a lot of the women in this community, they'd probably be like, oh, man, sister, I would have preferred to have been doing this by myself from the beginning. <laughs> I think as well, like I realised that um, like I could start doing this on my own but it didn't mean that I had to stop dating so I yes. figured I could do both at the same time and totally. yeah it's not like when you, it's not like your, your your love life is over no that's that's very true yeah. I mean don't get me wrong it's been very hard dating whilst also trying to have a baby um I've had because do you bring that up on the first date or do you wait a while? <laughs> It depends. It, it yeah. really depends. So I have brought it up on the first date um, and I've had very mixed reactions. So now I tend to gauge how the date is going first. Yeah. I've <laughs> I've, I've brought it up on probably my most memorable was um, I went out on this first date with, with a guy that I met online and I realised pretty quickly that he wasn't the right guy for me. So I thought I'm just going to drop this bombshell and maybe it will sort of cease things and he'll get scared off and he'll, you know, he'll leave. <laughs> a bit of a coward's way out, I know, but um, that was my thinking. Anyway, told him I was thinking about having a child and he was totally on board. <laughs> wow. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> yep. He was basically proposing um, like co-parenting and, um, telling me how good of a mother I was going to be and how he really just wanted to have a stay-at-home mum as a wife. And I was just wow. getting totally very freaked out. This was in, you know, the space of meeting the guy after a couple of hours. <laughs> did he offer his sperm? <laughs> he didn't, no. And I think if he did, I probably um, would have absolutely sprinted out of there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny you know I can yeah. totally relate though because I know when you touched base with me you said something in your email about you know doing the sums and you going okay I'm 30 now yes. and by the time I meet someone even if it's like next week I'm going to be sort of 32 before we get engaged and then yep. three when we get married and then maybe 35 36 before I even get pregnant kind of thing and I think I mean that's very I think that to me, that makes sense and that's exactly how my brain works as well. And I'm not sure if you know, but this is something that I've been kind of, I've started this sort of journey as well. Yes. But then yeah. when I had my boyfriend, obviously that was on pause, but now it's back on. So no, it's back on track. <laughs> it's back on. I think it's just such a very normal and common thing for, for us women to do is yeah. do that, you know, future, I'm going to be this age and then I'm going to be this age and, you know, before things have even really started, we start to, you know, do those calculations in our head and 
it just became really scary and overwhelming and yeah. I was doing myself no favours whatsoever. Um, so I just, yeah, I just decided to stop doing that and just do it on my own and um, all my friends had children as well so that was sort of, um, I guess, validating my my want, I guess yeah. you could say. Like just watching my friends with their kids really helped me to understand that that was something that I wanted. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I know that I, I know that I was young and believe me, I have had more than one person say to me, Oh, but you've still got time. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, I was reading all of these stories online about women who were in their like early forties or, you know, like even late thirties. And if you ask them, what was the number one thing that they wish they had done differently? They all responded that they wish they had started sooner. Yeah. it's. I am so, so, so glad that I started when I was 30 because it's now been look, three and a half years and um, even like I've got um, Stella who uh, was still born at the beginning of this year, but I don't have any so living sorry. children. You know, it's taken me so long to... Yeah, to even just have that one pregnancy, so it's absolutely yeah. devastating. And I, I understand that urge, and the years they just kind of they they just creep up on you. Like I was thirty when I broke yeah. up with my daughter's dad, and I I thought I would be kind of remarried with more children, yeah. with like a handful of children by now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you just don't know what's going to happen. And unfortunately, as women, we do have a limited time frame, and it is something. It's smart. I think it's very smart it's something that we have to think about if that's what we want and there's we don't want to have regrets in our life you know I think you you don't want to regret not having children so I think it's amazing Um, yeah absolutely thank you and I I just wish that like fertility was spoken about more because like you're right we don't have time on our side but at the same time I don't ever remember receiving any sort of education about you know, like the quality or life of my eggs or, you know, what at what age does my fertility start declining? It's just yeah. not everyday conversation. No, it's not. And it just, it's shocking how fast you go from 20 to 30 mm-hmm. and then yep. 30 to 40. Like what? <laughs> it's, yep. it's, it's scary. But so speaking of eggs, I mean, I'm assuming when you started doing some research and going to talk to specialists and stuff that the idea of freezing your eggs came up as an option? Um, it did, but I think at the time I, I'd already made up my mind that I wanted to do the mum thing. Yeah, and I understand. I, like I'm not uh, very, I mean, I, I love my career and I love my job, but it's not a priority in terms of wanting to put this off for a career. Yeah. I'd already done so much traveling all around the world. I guess that was like one of the like real positive things that came out of my FIFO life was um, you know, like the time off and the the extended RNRs and, you know, the good the good money. So I yeah. traveled, I, you know, I was happy in my job. I owned my own house. There was nothing like there was no reason for me to delay trying yeah so uh while I did look at egg freezing the costs were just so high it actually worked out cheaper to just go straight into 
IUIs. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what an IUI is, do you want to give it do you want to give a quick explanation about the difference between IVF and IUI? Yeah, of course. So IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. It is where they basically um, they insert a catheter through uh, your cervix into your uterus and place sperm directly into your uterus to fertilize with your eggs naturally. It is the most, um, it's the closest <laughs> treatment available to, I guess, a natural um, natural conception. Yes. Generally doesn't involve very much um, intervention in terms of like drugs or injections or, you know, medication or anything like that. It's uh, very like it's it's non-invasive. It's very quick. It's very easy. Um, whereas IVF, which is um, in vitro fertilization, oh my gosh, I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> we never use no. We never use the long. <laughs> we all just know it as IVF. <laughs> so in vitro fertilization is where they give you medication to stimulate your ovaries to produce a large number of follicles which then turn into eggs you then go into surgery to have those eggs retrieved from there they place the egg and the sperm in a petri dish and either um, IVF which is where the sperm and the egg will come together on their own accord with no intervention or ICSI which is this is really going to test me. Um, in in no, I'm sorry, I, can't. I haven't I even can't. heard of ICSI. <laughs> so ICSI is the next sort of like level up from IVF. The only difference between IVF and ICSI is they inject the sperm directly into the egg with a needle while so it's inside you. No, 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 in the Petri dish. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah. whoa, so, that is so <laughs> that, is like, that would be some pretty impressive yeah. like, technology. <laughs> so, um, yeah, IVF, they just put the sperm and the egg together in the Petri dish and they let the fertilisation happen without any further in- intervention. ICSI, they bring the two together and, I guess, force that fertilisation to occur. Wow, it's fascinating, isn't it? Like, there's, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing what science can do, and thank God we live in, you know, this this year. Um, okay, so tell us about the start of your journey. I guess what's been happening. So you decided that that's what you wanted to do. You went and saw a specialist in WA, and what happened? I started my um, fertility journey over Skype, actually, because I chose to see a fertility specialist located in Adelaide in South Australia. Um, That has purely to do with the fact that I was needing donor sperm being a single woman and the availability of donor sperm in Western Australia is very low. So at the time... South Wales. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Well, there was before COVID, there was a six to eight month wait list. I haven't wow. checked what it is now. Yeah. I had no idea. You know, things have changed a lot probably since I first started. Well, yeah, exactly. It would have. Yeah. yeah. And so what was it in WA at the time? Six months. It was 
It was roughly the same. So um, depending on which clinic I would have chosen to go to in Perth, it was either six months all the way up to 18 months. Um, Wow. And what was it in Adelaide? Zero. Two weeks. (laughs) Wow, really? A two-week wait. And that was purely because of um, like a counselling legality. So you needed to have your two weeks between two counselling sessions and the counselling is a requirement by law for using any sort of donor material. Yeah. So, wow. Um, I love it. You're like, no, nope, I'm not messing around. Let's just go. It. Let's just do it. Two weeks. Pretty it's much. Fantastic. It's, I don't even know that you could do that. And, yeah, amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I'm, you started on Skype? Yeah, when I want something, I want it yesterday. <laughs> I love it. It's like action, you know, you're my kind of woman. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, started with a yeah, a few Skype sessions with a specialist in Adelaide and a lot of very naive hope and ignorance. I, at that time, assumed I would be able to fall pregnant very easily. I'm assuming you had all those tests done to you know check your the stuff they Correct. do like yeah the the yeah. all the blood tests and that scan they do to check if your your tubes are flowing and so everything kind of came out really good yes it did yeah and uh your like the episode that you have done where you talk through those tests is basically um very standard that's exactly what I went through as well yeah um so I won't bother going into that because you've already covered it and covered it perfectly. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll link to those episodes in the show notes if anyone is interested. Yes, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah so my all my fertility testing came back perfect. The doctors uh, were, you know, quite sure that I'd have no problems and I was sort of like a textbook case. Everything was um, like within range for my age. I did have like a lower than average AMH score, which is um, the anti-malarian hormone, which is basically a number that they give you that tells you how many eggs you have left. But um, it wasn't... average for age 30? Yes, correct. But it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't too concerning. It was just a little bit, I think my, you know, my number should have been around 13 and it came in at 11, something like that. Yeah. So it wasn't too much of a concern. The doctors weren't worried about it. Um, <laughs> I also assumed that my cycle would be regular from, from that day forward because it had always been regular prior and I could fly over to Adelaide on a weekend, <laughs> have the insemination and fly back. <laughs> I love it. That's you something I would do. It's like scheduled. Like yeah. <laughs> I was so naive. Um, uh, you had these had these Skype sessions. Did end up going over to Adelaide for my first IUI, and I had been on Clomid, which is. Um, a medication to try and, I guess, gently stimulate your ovaries. However, my ovaries were overstimulated and I produced too many eggs and the doctor wouldn't go forward with the IUI because there was too much of a risk of a multiple pregnancy if more than one egg fertilised. Is that... See, I would have thought for me, I'd be really happy about that. I like having, twi- I'd be like, I'd love to have twins. Like, 
Yeah. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I think at the time I had around seven mature eggs. Oh, shit. So, yeah, it wasn't even like a, a question of twins. It was like like multiple multiples. Okay, yeah, um, that's a bit. It's a lot. Yeah. That's like a current affair material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, mum. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that was cancelled and my very first cycle to be cancelled, I was just devastated. I, at the time, I just thought I was so upset. Um, I ended up then having another four IUI attempts, three. And what was the time, what was the time frame between the gap, I should say? Uh, it would have been around maybe six to eight months. So I had... For the whole, all four of them? Total from my first IUI to my last IUI. And did the, um, are you including that first one where the, every, your eggs were overstimulated as yes. the first one? Yeah. Okay. Can yeah. you talk us through, before you tell us about how those went, the actual process of what happened when they actually did the IUI? Yeah, of course. So they, um, so you go in and you have like a baseline scan at the very beginning of the IUI just to check that you don't have any cysts on your ovaries and that your uterine lining is looking normal. They may or may not put you on medication. All of my cycles from day one have been medicated, but that, um, like, everybody is different. Yeah. Over the space of, say, two weeks leading up towards when ovulation should be occurring, you go in for quite regular ultrasounds and they track the progress of your follicles on your ovaries. With an IUI, the aim is to get one, maybe two, sometimes even three, depending on the doctor, mature follicles, and they have to be a certain size to be classed as mature. So a mature follicle is around 20 millimetres. Once they start seeing those follicles growing and they grow around two millimetres a day, they will then give you an injection to take, which is called a trigger shot. And the trigger shot basically tells your body to release the eggs to then start travelling, you know, down your fallopian tubes to meet the spermies. Wow. <laughs> and then when you go in, what happens yes. then? So you do your trigger shot and they time it so that your trigger shot and the insemination occur, I think it's like around 20 hours maybe or 18 hours it's 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 so precise like it's I was having trigger shots at like 11 and 8 like 11 p.m midnight 1 1 a.m in the morning um depending on when they would do the insemination sort of like two days later or a day later so you go in and (laughs) you you know put your legs up in the stirrups and Guided by ultrasound, they insert the catheter and then they inseminate you. (laughs) And then you lie there for 15 minutes and you don't move and you cross your legs and hope like crazy that it works. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. 
And then two weeks later, you have a blood test, which tells you if you uh, have any HCG in your system and are therefore pregnant. And in the meantime, you've probably done 100 pregnancy tests anyway. Yes, I was just about to say. In yeah. the meantime, you've done a lot of Okay. Um, wow. All right. Thank you for running us through that. So, um, so tell us how, how, what was, what happened in those eight months when you had those five um, IUIs? Yeah. So my first one was cancelled because I was um, overstimulated. I then had two um, complete IUIs where, um, you know, from start to finish, they both came out as negative. The IUI after that, I was overstimulated. So that got cancelled. Um, and then my third complete IUI was also negative, but during that time, I also had some cysts develop, um, which I had to wait two cycles before they released to release those cysts. I was having extra medication. Um, I changed donors a few times between IUIs. So I was switching up thinking that was going to be the magic solution <laughs> right so you were doing that in the hope that that would increase your chances of getting pregnant rather than you changing your mind on the genetics kind of thing yeah so I was and I, I don't know how much um I, I don't know too much about the whole incompatibility between an egg and a sperm but I had heard stories of women who you know, did X amount of cycles with one donor and then they switched it up and fell pregnant on the next one. So it for me, the donors that I was choosing, I wasn't, um, you know, absolutely, you know, set on. I, I was quite happy to be flexible and switch them up. Yeah. And Adelaide had quite a selection. So I wasn't, in, like, I wasn't really restricted to, you know, only using the one either. So. Yeah, wow. Hmm. So after my IOIs, um, my doctor recommended that I move into IVF um, because I was obviously having no no success and I agreed to do my first um, IVF cycle in Adelaide, which, um, <laughs> again, it, it was just so hard with the travel um, if I could do anything different, I would just wait the time, like just wait my time here in Perth. But the yeah. travelling to South Australia was really hard. And also because I imagine like, well, first of all, the whole thing is so expensive, but then you're adding on flights and probably hotels mm. and, you know, yeah. Uber Eats yeah. every night and that kind of thing. Yeah. And also <laughs> it's the lack of support because you don't have anyone to go with you and Correct. be with you. Yeah. Correct. So my mum came with me um, for one of my IUIs and, and did the trip with me, I think my first one. Um, she also came over for my first egg retrieval for literally for two days um, and that was purely because the hospital, after you've had an egg retrieval, um, they won't let you go home alone because you've had an um, anaesthetic, anaesthesia? Yeah. Anesthesia? yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> um, so she came over to um yeah to pick me up and, and look after me for the night. So um but absolutely the lack of support was was massive. So those IUIs that got cancelled, I was absolutely devastated about at the time. I can imagine. 
and my first IVF cycle had a quite a poor result um, and I was, again, absolutely devastated and completely alone, which was very hard. Gosh, it, I can imagine the disappointment and I feel like I'm glad we've talked because I think, I think I've been a bit naive as well. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is how much it will cost me. I'll just do that, then I'll get pregnant. You just kind of assume that if everything looks fine, like, why wouldn't it work? Well, that's exactly right. And I guess the thing is, is none of us have a crystal ball and we just don't know what the path ahead is going to look like for us. Yeah. I have got friends who have been very successful on their first IUI and now have bubs. And then I've got other women who, like me, have got no known reason for their infertility and, uh, you know, several IVFs down and, and still trying. Um you just don't know and the doctors don't know, which I think is even harder. It's incredibly frustrating. Um, So so that was so frustrating. So you had no success with that IVF and then was that the end of your Adelaide treatment? It was. So that IVF, um, I didn't get any embryos, which um, was devastating I'd gone through all the medication and the egg retrieval but then didn't have any embryos to transfer back um, and didn't find out until the day of my supposed transfer so that was that was just just soul destroying Um, yeah so I came back to Perth and to pay for that IVF, I'd actually done an early release of superannuation. So you can apply for the early release of superannuation for medical um, reasons, and I took money out to pay for to pay for that cycle, and had also said it would be my only cycle. It's too expensive. I'm not going to do this again. Um, but as soon as I got back to Perth, I just knew that I, I wanted to keep trying. I, I definitely wasn't done. No. So and I much, spoke. You're talking about the IVF cycle or all of them yeah. together? No. So my IUIs, I paid for, um, like my, I guess, out of savings. And then the IVF, my first IVF, I paid for with the early release of superannuation. Yeah. Yeah, which was. Fifteen thousand just for the IVF. Yes, correct. What? And because I was paying for um, airfares and car hire accommodation, like the IUIs themselves were not that expensive. But it was the the other stuff. Yeah, correct. And medications are quite pricey as well. So, wow, my goodness, that's so much money. So disappointing. (laughs) so I came back to Perth and I spoke to a clinic um here in uh, up in Joondalup and they because I had already completed the counselling over in Adelaide they were happy to transfer I guess that consent over to West Australian um like legislation and, and sign off that I was able to proceed with using donor sperm over here So I was able to go straight into treatment without needing to wait. So the cooling off period here in Western Australia for donor sperm is six months. Um, 
and that's regardless of of which clinic um, I spoke to, that was all the same. Is that the cooling off period? Is that for the the man? The um the count yeah the counselling session. Oh, to the, so the after you've had the counselling. Yeah. Yeah. Again yeah. With you. So you yeah. have to have two counselling sessions. Your first one, you go in and you speak with a counsellor about using donor sperm and um, what will you tell your future children and are you prepared for this and do you understand the legislation and blah, blah, blah. And then you have a second counselling session six months later where they basically check that you haven't changed your mind. Right, okay. And then after that second counselling session, you're in straight away. Good to go. Yeah, okay. So coming back over to Perth, um, I was you know, fortunate in not having to wait that time and I was able to start treatment um, straight away. So I did another um, withdrawal from my superannuation and went into another IVF cycle over here. This time I um, managed to get two embryo transfers out of that, which was um, quite good for me. Yeah. <laughs> And was, you know, my first, I guess, time at being um, what they call um, poo which is <laughs> pregnant <laughs> proven otherwise. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the world of trying to conceive and all the abbreviations that come with it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so when they do the embryos, they can identify whether they're male or female, can't they? They can, but they can't actually legally tell you until, so Australian legislation, they, you're not allowed to do gender, um, uh, like choice, you're not allowed to right. choose the gender. So they can reveal that if you fall pregnant, I think it is, they can then tell you what the sex of the embryo is of the baby. Yeah. but they won't tell you beforehand. So and what if you were to say, like, oh, I really, like, I'd love a boy? Would they be like, uh, they okay, wink, wink, got it. Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, would, they would just probably say, that's nice, nothing we can do about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think the only place I've heard of where you're allowed to do that gender like choosing is over in America, gender selection. Yeah. But you to not to understand the gender of the embryo, it has to undergo what's called like pregenetic, um, pregenetic screening, which that is where they actually extract a few cells from the embryo and they go and they test those cells for chromosomal abnormalities and like disease. In the process of doing that, the embryo can be damaged and then um, it reduces the chance of success. Wow, that's so interesting. I had no idea. I guess the like the flip side of that is you know straight away if that embryo is healthy and if the embryo comes back as healthy, then it's got a higher chance of a successful pregnancy. So there's some real pros and cons to doing the um the, the pre-genetic screening so pgs or pgd um i haven't done that on any of my embryos i've never had enough embryos to test so there's yeah. also minimum number that the lab will test and i think that is different for, for everywhere but i think it's roughly around six um 
And again, it's like it's so crazy expensive to do that. I think it's around $3,000 just to test the embryos. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. so so what happened after that? Uh, so those two transfers from IVF number two were both negative. Um, it How was devastating. Yeah, I know, because I think the other thing with IVF is when you get to that point, you just think that it's going to work because yeah, you're like, IVF is, you know, like it's for the big kids, it's for the serious players. Yeah. Um, you know, it costs so much money and how can it not work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so when you have your first transfer and it doesn't work, it is, it's absolutely devastating because you just, you feel like you've you've stepped up a league and yeah. you've done all of this pre-work in terms of injections and, you know, most women out there will go through some sort of supplementary treatment. So acupuncture, yoga and like naturopathy, certain exercises and diet, yeah. it's, it's pretty rare for people to be going into IVF and not doing something else alongside it. Yeah. Well, you're basically throwing everything at it and when it comes back as a negative, it's it's heartbreaking, it's absolutely so heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Mm, yeah. Um, so it was at that point that I also decided that I wasn't very happy with the doctor that I was seeing at my clinic and I asked to switch to a different doctor within the clinic, which um, was very nerve-wracking, yes. but I'm so glad I did it. What was the problem that you didn't that you had with the first doctor? I felt like I felt very dismissed a lot of the time in our conversations. He yeah. was not very good at explaining things. Um, I, I, I've always felt as though I was being rushed in and out of appointments. And when you're going through fertility treatment, it's generally the most important thing that you've got going on in your life. Yeah, so totally. you want to have all the answers like to all your questions and have a full understanding and he just wasn't me he just wasn't giving me that he had a terrible bedside manner I just I just felt like I I just wasn't getting the I guess the respect and um the treatment that I deserved as a patient um especially when you're paying what you're paying oh my gosh <laughs> yes well good on you you know because that that takes guts it's not easy to do that especially when it's the same clinic and then it's awkward in case you see it, them it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I ended up actually seeing him for my next transfer after I transferred out of his care and yeah it was so awkward oh gosh but um, look, I'm so glad I did it and it's actually like it's a very common story when I speak to other women. They, you know, they too have, have had, you know, really poor experiences with their doctors and have changed and have been really glad that they have or they've changed clinics and I guess like the number one takeaway um, for someone listening is like trust your gut and if you're not comfortable with your current doctor or your current clinic, like just do it, just switch. You've yes. you've got nothing to lose. It's too important. No, I think that's so good. Same goes for um, I think when you're actually giving birth because I had this mm-hmm. horrible midwife. She was a complete bitch and I was so obviously never been in that situation before. I, I didn't realise that I could say like you need to go 
you know, she made the experience really horrible. And I wish, like, if I'm in that situation again, I will definitely be saying, this lady needs to leave. Like, you know, yeah, because this is, your, this is your thing and you want to experience it the right way. Yeah, definitely. And in those situations, like, you're, in, you're at your most vulnerable. Mm. You don't want someone who's making you feel bad at that time. You want to feel supported and comforted. Yeah, so exactly. We all need to learn how to speak up for ourselves. Um, yeah. And if you can't do it, like find someone who can advocate on your behalf um, just to make sure that you are getting the care, like the care that you just deserve. Yeah, so good. So good. Mm. So what happened after that? Um, so, yeah, switched doctors and ended up with the most amazing doctor who was not afraid of trying new protocols, using like experimental trial medication. Um, I went into that cycle basically saying like that was going to be my last try because my superannuation by that point was like rapidly declining. Yeah. Um, And I felt like I'd already, you know, like I'd given a couple of years to trying I wasn't having any success whilst it was definitely the most important thing and and is the most important thing like that I was trying to do um I felt like I'd sort of reached a limit mentally and physically it takes a lot out of you going through fertility treatment and especially IVF and then to be doing it solo. Um, Don't get me wrong. I have the most amazing support system, but there's definitely, you know, something to be said going through like all the hormones and um, like the, the constant injections and the monitoring and doing it on your own is it's hard. Like it's exhausting. Sometimes you just want someone there to, you know, to cry with and yeah. <laughs> someone else understands what you're going through on a bit more of a personal level. Totally. So, yeah, switched up, found this amazing doctor and went into a new protocol with her, um, had another egg retrieval and this time I ended up with two embryos, uh, sorry, three embryos at day three and the... Um, embryologist has called me and has said we would recommend doing a double transfer so what that means is they put two embryos back inside your uterus to potentially implant and the reason that they do that is because it increases your chance of pregnancy because I had had such poor success leading up to that point that was their recommendation yeah of course, doing that, um, that's where the, the risk of twins comes into play. Uh, so, so I was sort of, I received that call like at the 11th hour as I was walking out the door to drive up to the clinic to have a transfer of a single embryo, but agreed to do the double. And the other reason why they suggested doing the double transfer was because my embryos were quite poor quality and they didn't believe that the embryos would get to a stage where they would be able to freeze them for another transfer um, if this one was unsuccessful. Yeah, right. So agreed to that, had two embryos transferred back and it worked. I feel pregnant. 
which was very exciting. So exciting. <laughs> I mean, after all those years of trying and heartbreak yeah. and money and emotional roller coaster, that must have been such an incredible feeling. It was, and I I did the the tests, the at home pregnancy tests before my official blood test date, and um, you know the first time you know, I got my positive. I was so excited. I took the speak to work <laughs> um, because I, I work with my mum. We work in the same office. Oh, that's awesome. I called her into like one of our meeting rooms and I'm sh- like I've showed her the stick and she's like, well, what does this mean? <laughs> she's like, I don't understand. I was like, can you see that line? Like that means I'm pregnant. She's like, oh, like it's very faint. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. But I kind of get so excited and she was just like, oh, look, I don't know about this. <laughs> and I was like, a line is a line. It only shows up if there's HCG like I'm pregnant. Yeah. And then she started crying and we got really excited. And I called the clinic and requested an earlier blood test and, yeah, that all came back saying that, yeah, like I was definitely pregnant. My HCG was rising as it should. But then the question came was um, if it was going to be twins because I'd had the two embryos put back. Yeah. So I had, um, I think, maybe three or four weeks before my first scan of, yeah, wondering if it was going to be one that or two would have been babies. torture. <laughs> it was definitely a roller coaster of emotion, that's for sure. Oh, my gosh. So there's a way that you can tell quite early on through your HCG levels if it's a single pregnancy or, you know, twins or triplets is dependent on the level of HCG that's coming back. So generally if you've got a multiple pregnancy, your HCG levels are quite a bit higher. Yeah, okay. My HCG levels were coming in too high for a single pregnancy but too low for a double pregnancy. They were like hovering in between (laughs) so it really kept me on my toes that's for sure um but the clinic were fantastic so they going through the fertility clinic they monitor your blood tests and the ultrasounds etc and they were doing blood tests every I think three days uh which is so comforting because once like once you've gone through that fertility treatment you know it's taken so long to get pregnant and so to have that constant reassurance that you are still pregnant is fantastic I don't think um you know like a regular couple would get those number of blood tests for that for that reassurance so yeah that's awesome so I got to ultrasound day and um I was absolutely packing myself because I wanted well one I've just wanted to hear a heartbeat um or see a heartbeat and yeah two wanted to know how many and um it was a a very perfectly single pregnancy um yeah everything was absolutely perfect so very exciting yeah it's so awesome um so from there um I had another couple of scans with the fertility clinic and then I graduated. <laughs> they, they call it graduating when you leave your fertility clinic, which is it's kind of sweet. <laughs> and um, when, and how many weeks pregnant are you when you graduate? I was eight weeks pregnant. Yeah, and so then they send you off to an obstetrician or however you want to give birth. 
Correct. Yeah. Yep. So they give you um, like information to give to your GP and a couple of, you know, like referrals on, on what they think is the best like way to continue like care. So for me, I was still on certain medications that I continued all the way through to 12 weeks, which was um, progesterone suppositories and also Clexane, which is a blood thinner. Okay. So I continued those all the way through. So my fertility specialist provided information to give to my GP um, on on those. So, yeah. Right. So you graduated and off to the GP you went. Yes, I did and decided to – so my GP spoke to me, I guess, about the different um, options of, uh, like, care to proceed with the with, – going through pregnancy, so either going private or public. I chose to go public because I'm within the catchment area of the um, main maternity hospital here in Perth, King Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I um, yeah, I chose to go public and I was then accepted into a midwifery program where even though I was public, I was able to um, receive care under the same midwife for all of my pregnancy. So, oh, that's so good. Yeah, which was fantastic. So they have this sort of like side program to the main, I guess, hospital. And it meant that I wasn't seeing a different doctor at every appointment. I wasn't going to be seeing different nurses. I would go in, see one midwife. She would coordinate all of the <laughs> testing and whatever else is required. Um and yeah it would never change and also I would have complete flexibility over appointment times which was a huge bonus with with work and already having taken so much time off with um with IVF yes so um that was quite exciting I yeah got to got um into that program met my midwife only once um before going into labor at 20 weeks Oh, Which was gosh. very hard. Krista, I'm so sorry. It's, yeah, thank you. It's the worst. Um, gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, so um, by this point I had learnt that I was having a baby girl and I had completed the early um, what's known as like harmony test um, so the NIPT, which is non invasive prenatal testing. And that all came back clear. Um, every ultrasound was perfect. Um, baby girl was always measuring um, maybe a few days behind, but, again, never of any concern. Um, everything, yeah, it was, was going really well up until, um, so I was 19 and 6 when um, I, my cervix basically started dilating and two days later at 20 and 1, I, I gave birth to oh. my daughter who was born sleeping. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. That's so awful. I'm so sorry. It, um, it was awful. <laughs> I think that would be, what, like, probably the hardest thing that a woman, woman would have to go through. It's yeah, yeah. It really was awful, and um, 
I, I mean, I, I wouldn't wish it on on anybody. I my my best friend was with me the entire time. My mum was with me the entire time. Um, I had the most amazing team of doctors and nurses looking out for me. Um, I had done a bit of research when I first got into the hospital and learned that there was nothing that could be done to to save my daughter and learned that the um the the gestation determines the type of loss that it's categorized as so before 20 weeks a loss is classed as a miscarriage and after 20 weeks a loss is classed as a stillbirth and the rights of the child also change at that point so from 20 weeks the child um, is able to be recognised, um, I guess, as a life and will receive a birth and a death certificate. Um, before 20 weeks, they they don't get that, um, which I, I mean, my heart just absolutely breaks for anybody that has a loss before 20 weeks because it's a loss is a loss. Yeah. yeah. And the gestation shouldn't matter. No. Um, so, you know, to think that if I had given birth, so like two days earlier, yeah, it would be a miscarriage and, um, yeah, I just, it just seems so unfair. It is. So it's unfair. really unfair. I'm so sorry. At the beginning, like, I introduced you and I said that you didn't have any kids and you do. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. No, that's okay. Um, I like I I consider myself to be a mum. Yeah, you are a mum. <laughs> and with with Mother's Day, um, you know, coming up, I've I've definitely struggled with the fact that. So I named my daughter Stella, and I've definitely I struggled. I love that name, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It's beautiful. Yeah. I I definitely struggled with her not being here. So um, her due date is a month tomorrow. So she was due on the 5th of June and I, I should be pregnant, you know, right now and I should be pregnant on Mother's Day and instead I am, you know, a mother to a child who's no longer here. Um, you know, and I mean... There are so many women out there who are in my position. You know, they they are mums, but they're not mums to living children. And it's definitely, I think, one of the more awkward parts of of pregnancy loss is trying to define like an identity for who you are now. Um, yeah. You know, like I have caught myself and you know had myself corrected by so many people because in my grief I am constantly saying I just want to be a mum I just want to be a mum and then you know somebody will say back to me but you are a mum yeah but but I'm not I'm not a mum to a living child like it's yeah it's such a complicated 
type of grief. And then it's confusing because you don't want to say like, no, but I want to be a mum to a living child because then it, you feel like you're kind of minimising. Dis- yes. Yes. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. I want to be missing Stella because she is hands down the most important thing that has ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I do feel as though a part of my dream of motherhood it hasn't yet come true. Yeah. It's so complex. So complex. It's so complex. My gosh. I'm so sorry. It's just devastating. It is devastating. But um, at the same time, like I know for a fact that chasing this dream is exactly the right thing for me to be doing right now. Um, Having Stella and then losing Stella has only, like, cemented that fact for me. So she's given me, like, this beautiful clarity where I have no doubt, I have no fear, I have no confusion about trying to be a single mother by choice because I just I just know now that that yeah. is what I want. Like it's I came it. so close. <laughs> yes, you're so yeah. close. Yeah, and you know, even sitting here now behind me is a wardrobe, which is like filled to the brim with baby items. Because not only had I been, you know, buying little pieces, you know, here and there in the lead up to falling pregnant but yeah as soon as I hit and then I yeah that's right I I got pregnant and then I hit 12 weeks and I thought that was it I I didn't yeah you know I never ever ever expected a loss after 12 weeks so um I thought I was in the safe zone and I started buying stuff oh my gosh so sad yes it's very so hard you're so you're so strong like you're so strong and it's so good of you to share this because I don't think people talk about this you know people have miscarriages and people have stillbirths and it's something that's not really discussed it's not and that is the number one I guess like reason why I share and I open up is because I don't want anybody else going through this to feel ashamed or embarrassed or alone because there is absolutely no reason for this to be a taboo topic. No. And anybody going through something like this, the worst thing they could do is shut off from the world because they're not able to get the support that they need. I have been so lucky in that because I have been open about my journey from like from day one um you know I have got the most incredible support system both you know in real life with my friends and my family um at work with my manager and my co-workers but then also online like there's an amazing community of women on Instagram who um (laughs) they hold you up and they understand and they support each other and I've made some absolutely beautiful friends over the last few years that I'll be friends with for life because 
I have been open in sharing my story and others are open in sharing their stories and their experiences has, have helped me. So yeah. I'm just hoping I can, you know, even if all I'm doing is helping one person, then that's, um, that's good enough for me. I think, I think you're so amazing and you will have definitely helped more than one person. This Thank is, you. Seriously, it's incredible. Tell me where you are now with, so that happened in January and yeah. it's yeah. only, so I, I mean, May. So, and I, it's, the grieving is going to continue because you're, the, the birth due date is coming up plus Mother's Day, as you said, and then there's going to be continual milestones yes. where this is going to trigger you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will be trying again. Um, <laughs> the cycle in which I yeah, conceived Stella, I was like, nope, this is it. This is the last one. Yeah. But it's not. I'm I'm definitely not ready to give up. But so there will be a difference in in what happens next, and that is that I'll be using donor embryos. So wow. <laughs> I I won't be having um, a child that is genetically or you know biologically linked to myself. Um, instead, I'll be looking to use donor uh, embryos that have been donated by a couple or even another single woman who um, has finished making their family and they are then faced with the decision on what to do with leftover embryos and that decision can either look like destroying the embryos so that they can't be used, donating the embryos to science um, in which case they're used in, you know, like in training and in education and in teaching or donating them to um, other couples or other women who are in need of them because, like me, they have, I guess, exhausted the possibility of using their own genetic material to try and conceive. So that's so what it's going to look like for me. <laughs> and so are um, there many embryos adopted? what's the term like adopted embryos there's yeah there's two terms floating around for it so embryo donation or embryo adoption okay I am still sort of on the fence with both of them I'm not sure which one I feel like completely comfortable using at the moment um embryo adoption like the term adoption is generally because like a child has been, I guess, given up because they can't be cared yeah. for. Yeah. Whereas couples tend to donate their embryos not because they don't, like, want them but because they do want to give their embryos. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's, I'm, it's a funny one. It is a funny one. Yeah. So do many people do that? Like is there a big waiting um, list or...? It's a huge wait list. So um, at the moment, the clinic that I use don't have very many. In fact, I think they only have two embryos available at the moment. Um, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking and there is a very long list of people who are needing embryos. So um, I potentially have a very long wait ahead of me. 
Um, in saying that, a lot of people who do get to this point will search for embryos privately and that is where they will advertise or use like social media to try and find somebody who is looking to donate their embryos so either through Facebook or um, there are certain websites and forums set up. Um, in those situations you become known to each other and so the couple or woman donating I guess is aware of the child like of any potential children being born from the very beginning when the embryos are donated through a clinic, the same legislation applies in terms of the anonymity (laughs) (laughs) until the child turns 18. I think it's 18 here in WA, at which case only then are the details made available. Wow. So... That just brings a whole other level of... um complexity to it doesn't it because it's not really what I mean I imagine when you know it's not really what you wanted initially it certainly does bring a whole nother level of uh complexity around it and it also brings um extra counseling so I need to go for um yeah some additional counseling sessions with a donor counselor like a genetic counselor um first to sort of understand my own you know feelings towards using an embryo and having a child that has no genetic connection to myself but then also understanding all the the legislation around it as well Um, and because I haven't had that session yet and it's also not something that I've thoroughly researched um, I'm not a hundred percent I guess aware of of every of every side of the complexity I guess you could say yeah and so Mm. have they advised you that that's the best way to go yes yeah so we I did have I have had a a, um, appointment with my fertility specialist and we talked about what future pregnancies may look like and you know how how to bring those about um, I've also had um, obviously like the appointments with the doctors in the hospital when I gave birth to Stella to try and understand what went wrong. Yeah. Um, she, Stella has had a full autopsy and the autopsy results came back in that she was perfectly healthy. So she had no chromosomal issues. There was no um, obvious um, abnormalities that would... Um, I guess, have caused my body to terminate the pregnancy and it appears as though my body has has failed. So it's something to do with, with me. Um, the, I guess, broad term is what's known as an incompetent cervix, which is basically just you know, like your cervix dilating too early. It's a terrible term. Um, terrible term. It, yeah, it's not nice. It's not nice at all. Um, so when we look at, I guess, my full picture of fertility treatments, like we're looking at like my entire history, I've had the failed IUIs, I've had three egg retrievals, three transfers, 
all of my eggs have been very poor quality. My embryos have been very poor quality. In fact, the cycle that I did fall pregnant with Stella, I had a 10% chance of of pregnancy coming out of that (laughs) because the embryos were such poor quality. So I was, I was very, very lucky that that one worked. Yeah. Um, So basically if I was to proceed down, I guess, the path of repeating what I've already done, I could expect the same results, which have never been overly positive. And whilst my doctor is supportive of me doing another cycle with my own eggs, she has very openly and honestly warned me that I I couldn't expect, you know, miracle results to just suddenly happen. I'd basically be looking at the same sort of level of, of success and that could be no transfers, no embryos and pouring all of that money down the drain for nothing. Uh, so my chances of, of success will increase dramatically with using a donated embryo um, because um, embryos that are donated are only donated at a certain like quality and they like a very good quality. They, they generally don't accept lower quality embryos to pass on to people. Yeah. So um, the, there are many, there's, there's a lot of benefits for me to go down that path. And um, one of them is, is financially the embryos and are a lot cheaper. It's I'm not having to purchase any of the medication or go through an egg retrieval and having, you know, the surgery and all of the associated costs with that. I'm not needing ultrasounds and monitoring as I, you know, stimulate my ovaries. Um, it's a lot less invasive again, so I'm not needing to undergo any sort of medical surgery to have the embryos put put back in. Um, there's no needing, to, <laughs> no needing to wait. So when you go through IVF, you it's it's a total numbers game right so you start stimming and they tell you how many follicles you have so you get a number and then they tell you how many eggs they've retrieved and that number drops and then from there they tell you how many eggs have been fertilized and that number drops again and then it's how many embryos reach uh, like a certain um, quality and age at day three and then that number drops off again And then um, your final number when the embryos reach day five. So what might start, (laughs) say, 15 eggs, you might get two embryos. Um, (laughs) It's it's such a mind game. And I guess going straight to embryo donation, you skip through all of that. So there's lots of benefits um, for me in in needing to go to that step. But the other one, which is a completely obvious one, as a single woman, um, I'm already using donor sperm and I don't need to consider a loss of genetic material to a partner where I guess a a couple, you know, a male-female couple going to donor embryo would mean a complete, like, um, loss of genetic connection to both parents. Yeah. Yeah. so that's a positive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not for everybody, but, um, yeah, it, it will be for me and it will be okay. <laughs> it will be okay. And you know what? This is like 
I feel like the universe is always looking out for us and the fact that you had this urge and this kind of just certainty about knowing that this is what you wanted to do, it's kind of Mm. like this is what you needed to do because the challenges that you were going to face, you know, like thank goodness you started now. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. And you will get pregnant again and you will have a living child, maybe even more, who knows, you know, and like Mm -hmm. it's it's like I'm just, I I feel like really relieved for you that you started when you did because imagine if you had started this journey at 39 or something. Correct, which almost takes me back to like the very beginning of our conversation when, you know, you said, I'm sure you've heard so many people say, but you're so, so young. And um, I guess, yeah, I, you know, I'm only early 30s, but if I'd put it off any longer and then started and then had to go through all this process, you yeah. know, it could mid-40s by the time, you know, like I'd end yeah. up with a child. And it could still be mid-40s. I don't know. I think that there are so many things in our life that we can't control and there are so many things when it comes to fertility that we can't control um the one thing that I can control here is is when when I start trying and when I start doing these things and um I guess taking control of that just it it gives me a little bit more um certainty on on the direction of the dream like I'm making it happen you know like I'm not leaving that up to chance either so yeah exactly you're doing it you you so many people sit around and just kind of wait for life to happen but correct you've got to actually put your money where your mouth is and do something about things and put your goals into action you know make those steps put those steps into place and make it happen and that's exactly what you're doing so that's I think that's just so so great yeah thank you I think I'm just I think I'm quite fortunate in that you know when I started thinking about this I I you know I I did so much research I listened to podcasts I read articles I read blogs I stalked Instagram accounts and you know the entire time that I was learning about single mothers by choice it just felt so comfortable I never like I never had a question of, oh, maybe maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I do want to keep trying to meet somebody. From day one, I just knew that this was something that I wanted to do. Um, you know, and if there's somebody out there listening now who is questioning it, you know, do the research, but also don't don't research. And research and research as an excuse to keep putting it off. If you know, if you're at that point where you're thinking about it, you're probably already, you know, like you're probably already aware of you. You're probably already confident enough to proceed and just make it happen. Yeah. Um, don't let fear that first step. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yes, you're right. Don't let fear get in the way. I remember sitting in that um, in the waiting room the very first time that I was about to meet with my fertility specialist and I was just sitting there like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Like <laughs> this, is, this is not how I th- imagined my life to be. 
And then as soon as I had my appointment, I felt so much better about it. And I was just like, no, this is so good. This is so right. And it just, if I'd been scared and not done that, I wouldn't have got to that point where I was like, yeah, no, this is, this is so good. This is where I need to be. You might still be sitting here just asking the what if, you know, like if you hadn't actually done it and met with your fertility specialist and asked those initial questions, you'd probably still be talking to someone like me and wondering, oh, could that be me? Yeah, exactly. Should I do it? I don't know. Yeah. 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 That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, don't let fear in way. That's definitely like the the key point I think is, yeah, be confident. I agree 100%. Trust yourself, believe in yourself. That's so good. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, no, I think that's it. Maybe um, like to go back to donor donor sperms, donor sperm choices. Is yeah. <laughs> So many women really overthink it. Um, try not to get too caught up on that part of it. I know for me when I, when I first received a donor listing, I like I sat on it for days. I was like, oh my God, but I, you know, I want this in, in the donor and I want that. And so I want I this trait. It's going to be me. It's such an easy trap to fall into. I, I um, have difficulty choosing like what pizza I'm going to order if we, <laughs> if we get home delivery. It's like a massive decision. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Do I feel like this? I'm not sure. Maybe we'll just get four. Um, yeah, and that's like a huge decision. So I think that's exactly what I'll be like. But you're saying don't, it, don't overthink. It is a massive decision, definitely. But I think at the end of the day, like when I fell pregnant with Stella, I didn't give the donor a second thought. Like I didn't care. I was just so happy to be pregnant. Yeah. Um, And there are so many other women out there who have, you know, now got living children and they say the same thing. Like the donor at that point just doesn't matter. And the few women I've spoken to who have used donated embryos or um, a double donor, so they use an egg donor and a sperm donor, um, have all said the same thing. Like once the baby's here, the genetics don't matter. No. It's, you know, you're just like head over heels and totally in love with your kid. Like it's. Totally. And it's that whole nature versus nurture debate anyway as well. Like I feel like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, you're going to raise this child. It's your baby. It, Absolutely. It, yeah. And epigenetics is a fantastic, um, really interesting topic to look into for anyone who wants to do some extra Googling. Epigenetics is about how the environment in which the embryo and then fetus is growing um, actually has a role in shaping the development of the of the embryo and the fetus. So, for example, if you were to put the exact same embryo into you and me, the babies would come out completely different. What? Um, yeah, it's so interesting. Really? <laughs> yeah. So it has to do with, like, I guess, like the nutrients that you're putting into your body, the stress that you're putting your body under, the um, like exposure to you know to certain chemicals and toxins in the environment um all of those sorts of things so it's 
like there's there's some really interesting studies out there and um I find it all just so fascinating. <laughs> so that is fascinating. It's also a nice little um it's 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 nice to know that I guess a bub that has no genetic link to me was still like shaped to me. Um I've heard a really lovely analogy about donor embryos and it's like saying um somebody has given me the blueprint on how to build a house but I've actually built the house yeah that's so good I love that yeah me too (laughs) that is so good yeah oh my gosh (laughs) Krista thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this like it is so deeply personal and I'm honestly so grateful that you've done it because you are, you're, you're creating change, you're creating connection between women and you're creating this sort of normality about it that it's not shameful and it's, um, it's, it's completely, it's normal thing that happens in our life. It is. And it's, it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to yeah. show that this is an emotional journey and um you know to to wear your heart on your sleeve because if people if people know what's going on they can support you so exactly I think that's so important I always wonder why like you know they say don't tell anyone that you're pregnant until you get to this many weeks or whatever I was like I want to tell my family my friends because what if something happens I like you want to you want their support as well like regardless of good or bad outcomes like that's that's what your loved ones are there for isn't it that's exactly right that's exactly right yeah thank you so much and I'm I like I'm really excited to just see where the next couple of years take you and to follow along and you just get you're gonna have to come back when you have that baby of yours and share how everything is going I can't wait I would love to come back with a happy ending to share yes. with you and your listeners. <laughs> yes, that would make me so happy. I I wish you like all the happiness in the world and um I hope that this is a huge success and I can't wait to to see what happens. See your good news. Thank you. If anybody does want to follow along and um I guess see where the next few months and the next few years do take me. Um, I share my story on Instagram under project.pickle. Um, I also share photos of Stella and the ways that I'm honouring her memory. Um, and, of course, my inbox is always open to anybody who is needing to talk about their grief or their loss or perhaps choosing to become a single mother by choice and the you know the experiences I've had so far um or even if anyone just wants to say hi I'm here and I'm listening I think that's so beautiful I've just started following you and I'm looking through your account it's absolutely beautiful and just without even having like read any of your posts in depth I've just had a look at a quick couple um and you're very real Life isn't all filters and rosy and, you know, that's not, I don't know, that's not me and that's not anybody I know, to be frank, and, you know, why should we all pretend to be something that we're not? Yeah. Exactly, 100%. (laughs) 
Oh, Krista, well, thank you so much. And um, please keep in touch and let us know how you're going. And we can't wait to hear and share your good news with you. Thank you, Julia. And thank you so much for having me and letting me share my story and um, to talk about Stella as well. That's, yeah, it's just beautiful of you. So thank you. My absolute, my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Julia. Thanks. Bye. Krista, that was so incredible. I'm, I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to talk with you again. I, I'm really embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed about the way I introduced you and I'm so sorry. I apologize to you. I apologize to anyone that has had a miscarriage or a stillbirth. It's, it's, it's such a foreign concept to me. You know, I've been lucky enough to never have experienced that, but it's no excuse, you know, and I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I should have really not, not used that terminology. I just wanted that to be very clear that I have so much respect for everyone who has been in that situation. And Krista, you are 100% a mum, just like anybody else who has been in your situation is. So Anyway, I just I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show, for sharing your journey, for being so open about it. It is something that is so rarely discussed and I'm just super grateful that you did come on and share it so openly. And as Krista mentioned, don't forget to check out her Instagram page, which is project.pickle and I will put that link in the show notes as well. If you wanted to get in touch with me, you can email me at julia at singlemothersurvivalguide.com or you can also connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Single Mother Survival Guide. I would love to hear from you, so please get in touch anytime. If you want to check out some other podcast episodes or read my blog, just go to the Single Mother Survival Guide website, which is www.singlemothersurvivalguide.com. And on the website, there is also a link to join the Single Mother Survival Guide support forum, which is a Facebook group for us to all connect with each other. And that link on that homepage will take you straight there. Just be sure to answer the questions when you request to join. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I would absolutely love for you to rate the podcast in iTunes or on whichever platform you listen in on. And if you have a few minutes, even writing a review, as I said at the start, would be so amazing and help single mums find this podcast and encourages them to listen as well as making me feel good. It's like a trifecta. It's amazing. (laughs) Before I sign off for this week, I just wanted to wish everybody a very happy Mother's Day. I know that it's really tough. It's really, really tough being a single mom on Mother's Day. This is going to be my seventh year as a single mom on Mother's Day and really kind of my eighth because when my daughter was first born, my relationship with my daughter's dad was on its last legs and Mother's Day came and went I remember that day pretty clearly and the word Mother's Day was not even mentioned. Like there was nothing special about that day for me and I was, it was such a letdown, you know. It was like my first Mother's Day uh, and, yeah, it was a little disappointing. And since then, you know, it's funny, one of my friends, she's a new mum, um, we have this group chat with our best friend group 
And um, she was like, what do, what do you guys normally do for Mother's Day? You know, what, what, how can I make it my first Mother's Day special? She's not a single mom, but two of us are. And I was like, oh, to be honest, Mother's Day for me is uh, just like any other day. But what is sad for me is that I've always run events. So every single year since 2014, I have run a Mother's Day event for single mums and this is the first year that I'm not running it. So it's kind of sad because I love doing that and it's also a really nice way that I can celebrate Mother's Day even though, you know, it's quite a lot of work to facilitate but it means that I can celebrate with other women who are in the same position as me which has always made it really special. But I just wanted to send you lots of love anyway. I have an episode uh, which is all about Mother's Day for single mums, episode 39. And if you're struggling this Mother's Day, be sure to listen to that episode. Just know how amazing you are and it's just a day, you know. And if you're worried about it, my biggest piece of advice would be to avoid social media because everyone's going to be posting their flowers and, you know, whatever they receive, which is great, you know, good on them. If I was getting it, I'd probably post about it too. (laughs) But The reality is that this is like a small little section of someone's day and it does not equate to how life is for everybody in general and you're seeing this tiny little snapshot that is a highlight and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes but it can be emotional so if you are feeling vulnerable my advice would be to stay off social media on Sunday. Anyway, happy Mother's Day. You are amazing. I hope you can find some way to celebrate yourself despite the current restrictions going on. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day or evening, depending on where you are and when you're listening right now. And I'm really looking forward to speaking with you again next time.